Next up is uh, a really good friend of mine, and um, we had a phone call on my second trip to Puerto Rico after the hurricane. And during that phone call, I started off with tons of gratitude. And like this dude has actually seriously, seriously changed my life. I'm not gonna admit it. Uh, don't. This isn't going on YouTube. Um, but no, in all, in all seriousness, he's had a huge uh, influence on my mindset. And, you know, before I moved to Newark, before I joined Founders, before I started playing in, uh, in the ecosystem that, uh, that is northern New Jersey, um, I, had a, I had a lot of living beliefs. And a lot of those are still there. But at least when I see them, I'm able to identify them, right? Um, and one of the big ones was like investing in myself and like knowing my self-worth, right? Um, so the, the day that I met this gentleman, I, I pitched him, had no idea who he was, right? Just say, hey, you're pitching this guy that's important. And I pitched him this app idea and he starts going crazy, tons of energy. And he's like, dude, and he starts live streaming it, right? And I told him my whole story. I told him how my mother was a computer programmer when, uh, when I was a kid in the 80s before the internet existed. And I told him I was a hacker for social good and I used to remove viruses from people's computers after I hacked them. And, <laughs> and, um, and he really just believed in, in my potential, right? And that's something that you spoke on too, John, was like, other people can see things in you that you don't see in yourself, right? And all this, like tons of people in a room, people who've traveled all across the world, it's the result of other people believing in me, right? We all have limiting beliefs. We all wake up in the morning and, and have self-doubt, right? But other people who look at you bigger than you see yourself is what helps you rise to greatness. And that's why you need to surround yourself with people who empower you and speak to your greatness and not speak to your smallness. And so anyway, rewind. I'm, I'm pitching this idea and we finish the pitch. It goes great. And I go outside and I throw a cigarette in my mouth and I light it as I've done for 15, 20 years. And the guys come outside and they look at me and they're like, bro, what are you doing? You have too much to live for. And listen, I had tried to quit smoking cigarettes tons of times. I, I had been forced to quit smoking cigarettes for different times, and I've done it for health, I've done it for vanity, I've done it for all these different reasons. Um, and one way or another, I ended up going back to it, right? And that one small piece of advice, you have too much to live for, it really stuck with me. So me and my buddy, kill the pitch, we go to a bar, we have a couple of drinks, we get in our cars, and I look over to him, we had like two or three drinks, and I'm like, dude, drive slow, you've been drinking, you have too much to live for. So we get home, I wake up the next morning, and I look at my pack of cigarettes, next to my keys, next to my wallet, next to my morning routine, I pick everything else up, and I look at my cigarettes, and I say, I have too much to live for. And I did that for six months. For six months, I woke up every morning and I didn't touch that pack of cigarettes. I didn't throw it out, I didn't move it, I didn't put it in a drawer, I stared it right in its face. And I said, I have too much to live for. 
So there's a million things that I'm grateful to this man for, but I know that not only will I live a longer life, but I will live a longer life that's filled with an even more amazing legacy. So I want to bring up my good friend, my business partner, and a huge mentor, Gerard Adams. Gerard, thank you. That's amazing to hear, Brent. Um, first of all, I just want to uh, offer my gratitude back to you um, for all the dedication and sacrifice that you've made to believe in me at a time that was um, really difficult for me as well. You know, a lot of people see the outside. Um, it's very easy to see the outside nowadays with the highlight reel of social media. And, you know, me having an acquisition um, of my company, which was a dream come true, you know, during that period of time for me, and we'll get into that story, I really was going through an internal transition in my life. Um, and during that time frame, I really started to reevaluate my values, my standards, and what legacy meant for me. And to have left kind of, you know, this, this life that I had beforehand, um, that was more of this like lavish lifestyle to realizing like, like there's more impact that I want to make in the world and going back to Newark and feeling very alone, being in one of the worst hoods in Newark, New Jersey, um, building out an incubator to serve the inner city entrepreneurs in that community, to work with the youth and kind of just like, like any entrepreneur, jumping out of the plane without a parachute and figuring it out along the way. And there is not many people that I think really were willing to make that same sacrifice to be with me on the corner of Norfolk and Sussex. Yep. And um, you were one of those people. So I want to just, uh, I'm so grateful for the sacrifices that you made in, in being a part of that mission for social impact through the principles of entrepreneurship. Um, and I'm so, I so got your back, yo. Can we give a real round of applause? I know this is your first, there's a lot, a lot that we, you can learn from this, right? But the fact that you jumped out the plane without a parachute and came to Puerto Rico and are being a leader here to add to this ecosystem, I have your back and I'm super, super proud of you. And that's the type of leadership that we need in the world. Thank you, brother. Um, yeah, so before we get into Norfolk Avenue, Newark, New Jersey. And those of you who don't know, um, I've said this in a couple of other talks, Newark, New Jersey is the Bayamon of New Jersey, okay? There's, there's Bloods, there's Crips. Um, when Cory Booker announced that he was gonna end gangs in the city, they executed three college kids and sent the video to the news. So this is the city where you chose, after having a multi-million dollar exit, to return to and plant your flag in the ground and create something for social impact, right? And, you know, me, myself, I've volunteered as a kid uh, and I always kind of had a little social impact in me. But working with you and hearing you talk about social impact in such a way um, has, has really, really changed who I am as a human being. So I'm, I'm super, super grateful. Um, but let's talk about failure, right? Um, I think too much people see the Instagram stories, right? They see the, um, the highlight reel, right, on social media, and they don't see the failure. And even, even in great success, 
there are many failures along the way to get where you have to go. Um, so yeah, I would love for you to share like some stories about failure. I know you grew up, uh, you know, in the streets of Jersey. Uh, you know, you were a hustler. You were a college dropout. Like not the Ivy League. Uh, definition of what success is supposed to look like, um, like John was speaking about, right? Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about like failure in your early days coming up. Yeah, so uh, John, I loved your talk. Um, very similar to you, like entrepreneurship saved my life. And I didn't even know what entrepreneurship really was. I grew up, um, you know, not, the, not really a, a, a smart kid, and I wasn't a good student. Um, quickly I got into a gang, quickly I started hustling. Quickly I had just like a lot of limiting beliefs. I, got, I basically got bullied a lot when I was young um, to the point where a lot of people don't know this about me, but I have a scar on my face. I've actually gotten surgery when I turned about 19 years old because I've got jumped so many times. One of the times I got jumped, my face got put into a fence at the point of the fence and I almost died. And after that, it like scarred me literally, but it also scarred me spiritually, mentally. And I ended up joining that gang to protect myself um, and started hustling because of that. And I never really opened up about this story until very, very recently. It hasn't even come out yet publicly. It's gonna be on my show, Leaders Create Leaders. Um, so I grew up similar with like these beliefs of like not knowing if I was enough and not feeling like I was enough. My friends got into better, like, you know, we graduated and um, my friends were getting into these great universities and I had just got away by the grace of God by not getting locked up and going to jail for a drop off. And I decided to channel my hustle mentality into business. I was like, I wanna make my parents proud. I wanna make my father proud. And I, I felt that in that moment of almost getting arrested, cops surrounding me, and thinking I was gonna get locked up into, they ended up arresting the person that was creating Grand Theft Auto in front of me and telling me, kid, get out of here. In that moment, I felt like such a failure. That was the first moment in my life where I was like, I am such a failure. I was about to disappoint my entire family. And, you know, that was the, probably the first time that I was like depressed, didn't know what I was gonna do. Um, I ended up going to community college, felt like that wasn't for me, dropped out my first semester, feeling like a failure. You know, it wasn't like what it is today where it's like you can drop out and you have Instagram to see all these entrepreneurs telling you like it's possible. It was very, I didn't have that. I don't, Gary Vee wasn't on Instagram, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I didn't have that. And um, so I felt like a failure. It was until I met a mentor and that's why like I believe in mentorship so much that someone introduced me to someone that gave me a glimpse of hope that was there for me, that believed in me. And that's why my legacy is, is being that mentor now. And I was an apprentice. And then it kind of, then it was like, I went from that, you know, having to, you know, believe in myself and, and, and feel like, oh, okay, I, can, I see someone now, learn from them, start a business. But then I went through tons of failures. And uh, I'll never forget my first demo day, my first time doing a demo. And it was an uber like failure. I'll never forget, I was so passionate about this company. I was doing the marketing with them. I wasn't the CEO. And I got the room packed, 300 investors. I did all the marketing to fill the room. I've always, for me, marketing has always been my, you know, my niche. 
And I filled up the room and we were doing the first ever live demonstration of our product, which was called the nano battery. It was using nanotechnology to reinvent the battery. We had a, we had a uh, basically a, um, what's, it, what's it called? Um, basically like a, a grid that, that basically separated the two liquids in a battery. And until you turn a device on, those pores would open, allowing the two liquids, the electrodes and electrolytes to mix, creating essentially an infinite shelf life battery. They hit that button, room is, they're about to raise all, the, all this money in the room and the product didn't work. And that was the first time I was like, oh my God, like, I'm a, you're a like, this is a terrible failure. About to go back to Austin, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I had to overcome that day. And, and how old were you at the time? I was like, no, 19, 20 years old. 19, 20 years old. Um, but it's like, you know, you just learn so much from the failures. And throughout my entire life, from that first moment in my life to, you know, I've launched so many businesses, it's not even funny. People see the successes, but I've, I've tried everything, you know, and um, that's one of the things that I really learned is like, you got to take risks, you got to fail forward. Um, but it's just, it is part of your journey. Like, you have to realize that it's part of your journey all the way from that first moment when I was 19, 20 to even now, like every day I tell my team, like, yo, it's like, if you're not making mistakes, you're not moving forward. So, you know, for me, it's, it's always been a part of my entire career. And I think anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur, you have to learn how to fail forward. You have to learn how to truly learn from those mistakes though, but be willing to take the risk, be willing to break things. Um, and uh, yeah, so throughout my, that was the first of many Many failures, no, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I want to back up a little bit because you touched on something really important um, that, that I think it's a problem all around the, the country and the world. It's definitely a problem here, here in Puerto Rico. And it's limiting beliefs and people not believing that they're, that they're good enough. Is that what you said? Um, and it actually reminds me of a story that's super, super connected to this island. Um, so... When I was five years old, my father showed up to my uh, five-year-old um, birthday party. And then that was the last time I saw him. And every time I asked him, I was like, hey, where's Pops? Where's Pops? Where's Pops? Oh, he's working, right? And again, we were talking about legacy, like when I brought you on. Um, my grandfather's legacy was to bring me to this island. And every single year until the day that he died, he brought me here. And the day that he died, um, it was it was the last year that I had that I had ever been here, and it was also a year where um, I had a huge revelation that changed my mindset, um, and not in a positive way, unfortunately. So you know, I grew up kind of kind of uh, a smart kid. My mother was a computer programmer, so super super smart. And then when I was twelve years old, I was I was here on the island. And I'm with my brother, and we're working out. And we're in this shed. So we're in Arecibo, and we're on the top of a hill somewhere in the middle of Casa Carajo. And, and we're there, and we're working out. And he's telling me all these crazy stories about my father. And he's like, you know, one time, your father, he was a bad, he was a bad motherfucker, right? And uh, one time he was on a cell phone, he was on a pay phone, and a guy comes up to him and grabs his chain, grabs his gold chain. And my father turns and looks at the guy, and the guy was like a, a junkie. And as soon as the guy sees the look on my father's eyes, 
the dude immediately lets go of the chain and starts running away. He's like, oh, fuck, I grabbed the wrong guy's chain. And my father took out a pistol and, and assassinated the dude and killed the dude. And so he tells me that story, and then he's telling me another crazy story, and another crazy story. And then he tells me, yeah, and Pops, he's, he's not working, dude. He's in jail. And he's in the jail for the rest of his life, right? And at that point, my mother had been lying to me my whole life, right? And I'm 12 years old, I'm like about to go through puberty, and I don't know what the fuck to think. And I come back to, to Jersey, and I'm like about to go into high school, and I remember just like really obsessing over it and thinking like, um, there's actually a song by, by Biggie Smalls. And he says, uh, it goes like, and I'm a piece of shit, it ain't hard to fucking tell. And I remember just having that song like on repeat, right? And really feeling like, like somehow that mattered, right? Like that mattered. And feeling like I was limited, like I was supposed to, I was supposed to sell drugs, I was supposed to do X, I was supposed to do Y, I was supposed to do Z, right? And there's tons of people, I mean, I was talking to Taylor about it recently, she was like, oh, my, my family's telling me this, my family's telling me that. And I told her, your family, no offense to anyone who's over 35, I'm sorry. Um, but like, your family, you come from a different time. And some people, like Chamala, you're like a social media influencer, so this doesn't apply to you, but, you know, it's a different time. It's almost like the time of cavemen, right? Like, if I was going to tell you, if I was going to take away all cell phones service, right? Well, where do you live? You live in Arizona? Okay, great. If a hurricane hit Arizona and you guys had no 4G and all you had was electricity, but none of your cell phones had any coverage and the internet was down, would you feel like you were uh, in a good place? Yeah, no, you wouldn't. Um, and that actually literally happened here. But, you know, I, I say all that to say, you know, our parents, our grandparents, our abuela, our tío, they grew up in a different time, right? And that limiting belief of I'm not good enough, right, is something that most people live with for their entire lives. They're living with the stories in their head of their parents or their uncle or their teacher. I had a teacher that told me I was gonna be a junkie. When I was in fourth grade, he used to tell all the kids that would talk or laugh or throw a spitball, you're gonna be a junkie, right? And it took me a long time to get rid of those thoughts of um, self-doubt, right? So I say all that to ask you, what was that aha moment when did that light bulb go off in your head where you went from everything's impossible to anything is possible? So I actually grew up with unbelievable parents. And I think it plays a really important role. Um, and it's something that I really look to achieve. Like I want my legacy more than anything, more than all the money in the world, more than like, you know, uh, building big companies or even even the impact that I that I make through my social enterprises and philanthropy I want it to be my kids one day I want it to be me as a, as a father as a husband and I, I owe my father telling me that making me watch the Godfather every year my entire life and saying like a man isn't truly a man unless he takes care of his family and you know I've always thought about you know the, the sacrifices that not only did my mother and father make for me but also my ancestors. 
You know, my mother was born in Colombia, and thinking about my grandparents, my great grandparents on my father's side, they were from Italy. They immigrated from Italy. So my mother's side, they immigrated from Colombia. My father's side from Italy, and I think about my ancestors. Um, so the aha moment for me was the moment that I actually started to make it, and then I lost it all. So after that failure, the nanotechnology story, a guy comes up to me and he says, hey kid, I'm surprised you actually got me in the room. Here's my card, call me. So for any of you that do a pitch, there's one person in this room that can change your life. Find them. Not one person gave me an opportunity to, to, to be, do marketing for him. And I, I remember being like, give me a shot, I'll take $500 a month. And that $500 a month ended up allowing me to build the company to $10 million in revenue, six figures a month in retainers. And I did digital marketing for um, small cap publicly traded companies for many years. And I ended up, I'll never forget making my first million dollars. I hit the, you know, hit the, that comma and, I'll, and I called my dad and I was like, dad, like I did it, like I'm a millionaire. Like I can't believe I have a million dollars cash in my bank. And my dad was like, don't tell anybody. <laughs> good advice <laughs> so so of course what do i do as a young guy for the first time ever seeing money like that right i bought a, i got the penthouse i got the bentley i got the gtc the hard top i go and get the rari i'm traveling the world i'm doing everything i got the rolex i go i'm like i'm just i'm balling you know i want to ball you know why do we all like in the beginning but as entrepreneurs when we want to make it it's like yeah we want financial freedom and when I think about the first moment that I even wanted to make money when I was hustling, well, the first thing I wanted to buy was a car. Why? Because a car gave me freedom. So I went through that and God gave me the most remarkable lesson. I went from being that person and not understanding my ego, investing it into the stock market, taking it to $20 million in my, in my, bank, in my uh, stock portfolio account, and the mark, stock market crashes. And I lost it all. And in that moment when it was all stripped away from me, and all my friends are graduating from college now, and they're like, yo, but G made it, let's get a job with Gerard because we can't get a job at this college degree, we got debt. And I was like, I had this facade. I was like, well, internally, I was like, wait, like this is, this cannot have happened. I lost it all. I had to sell my cars, I had to figure things out. And it was my mother who gave me that moment. It was the moment that I didn't know where else to go, and I talked to my mother. And she was like, you know, Gerard, I didn't want to ever tell you this. And with tears in her eyes, she goes, when I came to this country from Colombia, we had a studio apartment with all your aunts and uncles, and that apartment caught on fire. And when I was walking home at 15 years old, I ran home with the fear of someone passing away in our family. And they got out, but we lost the little that we had, we lost it all. We literally only had the shirts on our back. And I had to go and get a job on Canal Street in the winter at 15 years old, lie about my age, drop out of school to make a little bit of money to help your grandparents to, to, to rebuild. So she was like, and if I had to go through that and I was able to provide this roof over you and your sister's heads, everything, all that money was like, I saw my mother looking at me in the eyes telling me this with tears in her eyes. And I was like, wow, like, I got like that was it man for me that was the moment of like all right like nothing's gonna stop me like there is no plan b like if i did it once i could do it again and that was the beginning of me figuring out and really honing in on what are my skills what am i really great at 
what do I want to really truly build as an entrepreneur? And that was the beginning of the birth of me looking at how content for me has been everything. It's been the way that I've been able to become a storyteller. And I decided to create what now is known as EliteDaily.com with my co-founders. That's so cool. And I think we have uh, a lot of, I think our stories run in, in such parallel that it's funny that our, our paths crossed. Um, because you, you started a content company, right? And um, well, what year was that? Creating content or starting Elite Daily? Elite Daily. 2011. Well, we, the 2010 is when we started as entrepreneurs, and then 2011 is when it actually became a business. It's so, so cool. Um, so at the same time, um, I was doing something so, so, so similar. And I, I, think, it's, I think it's amazing that, um, that we lived for 25, maybe 30 years, like a town over. <laughs> and, and we were, at different points in our lives, we, we hit very similar, um, similar types of adversity, right? And this speaks to, I think, um, the culture of the, the ecosystem on the East Coast. But so, so tell us more about Elite Daily now. So when did, when did you first come up with the concept? How did you build your team? And when did it go from like just an idea to this thing that was probably so big that you looked at it and you're like, what is this, right? It was like a, a, it was so much fun. Like it was so much work, but I don't know, like I truly believe that when you, I saw that my friend post on Instagram this morning and he, he looked like it was one of his late nights. And he was like, I don't want, it's almost like I don't want to go to sleep because I'm so excited. But at the same time, I can't wait to wake up tomorrow because of his, of that. And I think that that has to happen. Like if you want to make it as an entrepreneur, like it has to be something that you are willing to like die for you. It's, you love it so much it, that, you know, it, it's something that, um, it's like a passion. It's like, you know, I think ET says it, right? Like it's got, you want to want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe. And with Lee, it was like that. And we were naive. We got so many people doubted us. My girlfriend broke up with me. Like, what are you doing? Like, everybody around me was like, you're not a, like, how are you going to build, like, how are you going to make money from this? Like, you know, you never built a publication before. People in the industry knocked us. None of us had journalist degrees, all that stuff. But no matter what, even though we had that naivety, like, Every single day we just put in the work, we grinded, we figured it out, like we, we built a culture and I, I loved it. I really genuinely loved what the mission of what we're building, which was, it wasn't for us, it wasn't just the publication. For us, it was looking at what is the gap in the market that we're looking to fill. You have to find a gap. I wouldn't start Elite Daily again today. I would start a, I would start a media, another media company today. I'm interested in doing that um, or getting behind and partnering with a media company, but but Elite Daily at that time had a gap and it was that millennials didn't have a voice. You had all these publications that were handed down to us that were written by people of another demographic, an older demographic, you know, and the HuffPo's and New York Times and, you know, older magazines. I remember I would travel and, you know, I would buy Rob Report and Maxim and, you know, all these magazines that had been around a long time, but there was not a one-stop shop that was written by millennials for millennials that covered business, health, fitness, 
culture, dating, all these different topics. So we quickly, and by being bootstrapped was huge. You know, I think that so many entrepreneurs today, they just look at like money is gonna be the, the solution for you to build your company. Like we eventually raised venture because we had proven that we had something that was real and had traction. But being bootstrapped caused us to figure it the fuck out. Like caused us to be resourceful, caused us to figure out how to create strategic you know, partnerships, caused us to say we can't afford a huge staff, but how can we create enough value to, to allow contributors to, become, to become, or, uh, create the content for us, user-generated content. And we ended up building 2,000 contributors and just to fast forward, you know, it went from the three of us in an apartment with like folding chairs to getting people to believe in the vision of what we were creating. Again, creating a company and culture that people believe in the mission, the vision of where we were going and giving a voice to millennials. And that grew to 200 employees. We eventually raised venture from some of the biggest venture capitalists in, in the United States. Graycroft was our lead. And, um, you know, I really was the big brother of the bunch. My intern, David, I, you know, I was like, you're gonna be the CEO and I worked with him and I owe all of Elite Daily Success to that team, to David building it, to man, like, you know, to my co-founder, Jonathan San Pedro, the COO of our company, um, to all 200 of our employees that were ride, and die, ride or die for us. And um, if it wasn't for the team, it wouldn't have uh, come together. And I never decided I wanted to sell the company. Um, it was a moment that changed my life forever. We can get into that, but I'll never forget that that last board meeting when um, the Daily Mail made an offer to acquire us. Because of a strategic advisor, we got an acquisition offer, and um, which I think is just really important for, for you, for the startups in here to, to realize like how you can really position yourself by the advisors that you bring on your team. And when we got that offer, all of our investors Basically, like I even had got threatened, like we had to sell. Like everyone cares about the numbers, the win. But I believed in, you know, the the, the culture, the brand, of, and the movement that we had created. So I made a pitch at that last board meeting, why not to sell? Um, but uh, my mentor was like, if everyone is out, and my other co-founders were like, gee, like we did it. Like this gives security to all two hundred. This allows the legacy to be daily to live on. And what we do after this is, is, can be even more, you know, impactful. And at that time I didn't see that. So, um, it changed my life, but I actually got depressed. I felt like, like you sold your baby. Yeah. Like my baby, I didn't know. Yeah. It was, just, it was, it was tough. You know I mean? I felt like that was the platform and of, of like really the telling stories and, and, you know, it, it was, it was tough. It was really tough for me. Um, to let go of that. And I think that's why it was a successful company. It's because you had your heart in it, right? And um, Jess actually asked me a question uh, a couple of nights ago. She was like, oh, if you could choose top three companies that you would want to work at, what would they be? And I said, there's this really cool company in Puerto Rico called The Shrubs. <laughs> and, and number two and three, they don't exist. <laughs> and I actually walked away because that's how laser focused my vision is. So like, for you at Elite Daily, you are laser. They're like 50 million bucks, you're like, I don't care. This is my baby, right? So I, I, could, I can only imagine um, the, the internal conflict uh, that, that you would have had there. Um, plus I just thought it was undervalued, but, but yeah. <laughs> you know, that truthfully, you know, I look at the financials and I just felt that it was undervalued compared to um, you know, our competitors and our peers. For sure. So, but yeah. So, um, so before we move on to, to after the exit, 
What's one thing about leadership that you learned from going to three or four people on chairs to this huge organization with, with hundreds of employees and thousands of contributors? I would basically say that, you know, when it comes to even like, I used to tell the team, like, you know, obviously we care so much about data and with us, like our success was like really understanding data. Um, but behind all of the data, it really is understanding people. And um, I think that the, thing, the, the two main things that I learned the most about leadership through this journey was like, one, really, uh, whether, especially with my team, like having empathy, having like the EQ of understanding what their goals were and like really putting them in, in the best position and, and just genuinely giving a shit about every single person that was part of that company and really giving a shit about our, our users was like everything, like really making sure that um, we thought about the people aspect, of course, and also filling your cup up. You know, like I really recognize that, you know, as entrepreneurs, we can really sacrifice to the point of like not eating, not sleeping, um, you know, putting everyone before you. I was that kind of leader, you know, I put everyone before me. And I know that's something that you, that you told me yesterday. You're like, I don't care about it. Like leaders eat last. Like, and I, and I get that. And I, and I, I love Keith Ferrazzi in that book, Leaders Eat Last. But I really genuinely learned that I learned this from a Navy SEAL that if you genuinely want to build a big business, you want to build an impactful business, you want to build an amazing team, you have to fill your cup. You have to focus on you first, you know, and make sure that you are taking care of yourself mentally, spiritually. And the more that you do that, like I literally as simple as like just go for walks with my co-founders in a park, like get out, like get out of the, you know, like get out of the business for a little bit because it allows you to think big. It allows you to kind of spark that creativity to, to think differently. Um, so for me, it was, a, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of also stepping outside of it, outside of the business, filling up my cup, making sure that I was also being that mentor for my, my partners to get out of the business as well, um, to fill theirs. So that, that was really big as well. Awesome. So, so you have your exit yeah. and now you have a big check, and and but you have no baby, right? You have no no um, you know you lost the lead daily to um, during the exit. So then, what do you do next? And where was your aha moment for founders, and how did all that uh, come about? So um, I'll try to move along, and everyone's been sitting here for a long time, so uh, I appreciate everyone's patience and, and attention. Uh, the you know, what ended up happening, I think, and this is why, you know, this word impact gets thrown around a lot. And I recognize through social media that a lot of people talk a big game, but very few are willing to actually do the work. And entrepreneurship is about doing the work. So for me afterwards, what I really did was take a hard look at, you know, what impact really meant for me. And even though my accountant was like, go to Florida, get the, you know, do get save on taxes, do all that, I started to really look at social media and look at the leaders that were representing entrepreneurship and and you know i like nice things of course but i was like we need real leaders not just influencers you know Amen. for me it was so it was like how how do i want to not only be a thought leader but be like i used to say i want to be a show leader i don't want to just talk about it 
I want to actually show the work. So for me, it was really like really thinking that, thinking about that, going and getting coached, working with Tony Robbins, working with some of his team, working with other mentors that built like multi-billion dollar hedge funds, surrounding myself with those kind of individuals where to them, they were like, it's not about the money anymore. It was about the impact and seeing that they were actually building things to create real world impact. And for me, it was, it was a combination of thinking about that, looking at the social media landscape and saying, you know, we don't need any more influencers. We need real leaders. And also thinking about legacy, thinking about my ancestors, again, thinking about my family who immigrated here and saying when they, when they landed in the United States, they, they met in Newark and they, my church is in Newark and my, my roots are from Newark and there's a lot of poverty there. There's a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the minorities don't have real role models. So it's really as entrepreneurs, you know, it's a small circle where it's our responsibility to be real leaders and go back to where we came from, you know, not only just support the entrepreneur community, but go back to your roots and think about how you're lifting up that community, how you're being a role model for the youth. And that was what it was for me. And I, I let go of the, the, the finally, you know, what, it, what an exit gave to me that I want all of you to recognize if there's one thing is like, for me, for so long, I looked to prove myself. I wanted to prove myself to my teachers. I wanted to prove myself to my friends. When I was young, I wanted to prove myself to my father. I wanted to prove myself to the entrepreneur community. I wanted to prove myself to, you know, so, so many times throughout my life, it's like, I wanted to prove myself. And when I got my exit, it was like, and I started to realize my impact, I was like, all right, I feel like I don't have to prove myself. And there's one thing I would tell you is like, you don't need a title. You do not need an exit. You do not need a million followers. You do not need a, you know, <laughs> millions and millions of dollars in the bank for you to step up as a leader right now. So, you know, for me, I, I you know, it took me a lot to get there. And that's something that I, that's part of the message that I want to create a movement around for, because we need leaders more than ever before now. And that's why I'm here for you. Thank you so much. So, so, so true. You know, like, like Gandhi um, didn't have a million dollars in the bank and Martin Luther King was around way before Instagram. You know, um, so really I'm excited to embark on this next chapter where we can redefine the word influencer and the word influence, right? Um, Governor, Governor Cuomo, he's the governor of New York City for years. Um, he has about a thousand followers on Instagram, I follow him. Um, <laughs> the, the CTO at Amazon Alexa, who's listening to millions of people's houses or the wake word. Uh, he has about 250 followers on Instagram, and I follow him as well, right? And these are people that have massive impact and influence over our society and over the future of our civilizations, right? And I love the fact that you've taken your success, you've taken your influence, and you've channeled it for social good. And I think when you do that, you become whether you like it or not, the subject of a lot of criticism, right? Tons of people have exits and don't try to do anything good with their money or their influence, right? Um, so I, I would love to hear your opinion on um, maybe the backlash of social impact, right? There are tons of people who, uh, like I said, they have exits 
or they um, make a lot of money and you don't hear them and they're not in the news and they're not saying, I want to save Newark or they're not saying, I want to help Puerto Rico, right? Um, so what do you think, um, what, what do you think the solution is to, to that criticism? And how well, do we I don't think that there's criticism for ever doing good in the world. I think for me, the criticism came from you know, you're mentioning a lot of leaders that don't have a lot of followers. And that's obviously, that's, there's, you know what I mean? The amount of impact that you make in your, you as a leader is not correlated to followers. But I do believe that like, it is also okay to build a personal brand and that we can redefine influence and redefine branding ourselves now. Like, you know, John mentioned like entrepreneurs, like the new rock star. So for me, I feel like I want to work with real entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs that actually do want to brand themselves, but they are very intentional with the influence that they're creating. You know, they're not doing it because they want Insta fame. They're not doing it because they want to buy their next Lamborghini. They're doing it because they actually want to channel that into creating awareness which is what consciousness really is, you know, two things that are actually important in the world. And I think that we can leverage social media. It's such an amazing tool. Technology is such an amazing tool. People are scared of what's happening. There's a lot of people scared when you talk about these big terms, AI and blockchain, and because people fear change, they don't understand change. But throughout the history of humanity, technology can be used for bad or it can be used for good. When TV came out, our parents were like, oh, people thought it was bad because all the kids are not going outside and playing anymore and are getting fed, you know, to, to cons have a consumer mindset, which is true. But it also has been used to, for documentaries and education and TV has created amazing things. So when I looked at social media, I say to myself, like, it could be used for such good. It's just like money, you know, and, you know, you can't let it use you. You have to really use it as a tool and the, the criticism that comes with putting a being a brand and stepping up as a leader and building a brand on social media is that you're gonna have haters but if there's one thing that i know about entrepreneurs is you're gonna have that regardless your entire life you're gonna have haters you know there's days that i get really stressed out and i have anxiety of like keeping up with my personal brand and documenting my journey and and it's it's tough you know because it's you 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 care about you know doing this and doing real world impact, you're building a real business, but at the same time, you're actually building your brand and documenting because it's not because you want the fame, it's because you're trying to inspire. You know, Tupac has an amazing saying, he's like, I may not change the world, but I will spark the mind that changes the world. And for me, that's what I want to do. So for me, that's what I've leveraged is that I'm building my personal brand, which I will not probably, I don't know how long I'll end, I'll end up doing it, but for me, because I want to inspire and I want to, you know, truly connect and co-create. And for me, take it off social media and actually meet real people. And for me, I think there's a lot of amazing individuals doing a lot of amazing work and we can leverage social media to really make a lot more impact if you do it in the right order. A lot of people do it in the wrong order. And that's what I'm doing now. It's like, you know, I've, I've gone through learning this whole social media, personal brand, and, and uh, creating a framework where I can now work with successful entrepreneurs, work with people that are you know, doing the work, but also now want to be able to build a profitable Jeff, Nicole, Ashley, um, everyone who's been a part of it. It, you know, has helped me with this show because a lot of people see the, again, the highlight reel of the show, they don't know what goes in behind the scenes of the pre-production, the traveling, the narrations, the, you know, the editing, how much time that takes, the post-production, like it's, it's a commitment. It's a real commitment. 
Um, but it's the, the amount of impact that it's made, the letters, the DMs of changing people's lives, it's been all, all worth it. And it's, for me, it's not just a show, it's a movement. Leaders create leaders. That's awesome. What season are you guys on? What season? This is season four, and the theme of this season is called Conscious Creators. It's super cool. It's on Entrepreneur Network. It's very dope. Um, all right. So the last thing I want to touch on is uh, social impact and becoming a world-class leader. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Cool. So I know we've been here for a long time. Um, you know, for me, I think I've touched on a lot of it, but it's, you know, I feel it starts with building a world-class mindset then it's building a world-class brand, and then it's becoming a world-class leader. And for me, becoming a world-class leader is like, you know, how do you really see yourself in the world? How do you want people to really feel when, you, when they think about your brand, when they think about your legacy, when they think about you know, who you really are? And for me, I think it's really important that people do the work that you're doing, you know, go beyond, you know, I interviewed someone named Jay Shetty on my show and he's remarkable. And he talked about becoming a monk um, for years in India. And I asked him, what was the, like, the hardest part about becoming a monk? And he said to me that they, his mentors that were monks, they dropped him off in the middle of a village with nothing but the rope. And they said, figure it out for a month. And he said, the first week you go through survival, because that's what we are, that's what we have to, that's who we are, right, as human beings. And you try to figure out, like, how am I going to survive? I have no water, no food, no shelter. And he goes, by like the end of that week, going into week two, you realize, like, okay, if I actually just add value to this community and do work, like, not only will they give me, they'll give me water, they'll give me food. And then it leads to like week three, where like you're like, holy cow, like I've provided so much value for this community. Not only do I have food and water and shelter for myself because I've added value, but you start to recognize that there's people around you that don't have water, that don't have shelter that don't have limbs, that don't have eyes, that are sick. And you start to realize that not only can you provide value to create an abundance in your life for yourself and for your family, but you can go a step further and help those in need that, that basically don't even have the, the God-given gifts that God has given you. And for me, that, each and every one of us has a story. Each and every one of us can understand struggle. Each and every one of us have this unique differentiator within us. And as long as we know that you are enough, that you are everything and more, God has given you a purpose on this planet. And we are all have the ability to be leaders. We all have the ability to help those around us. We all have that ability, regardless of, again, followers, money, title, any of that. So for me, it's that is what I mean when I say becoming a world-class leader. Going beyond just thinking about the success that you want to create for yourself, beyond the success that you want to create for your family. Go beyond that a step further. And um, to me, that's who I want to work with, world-class leaders. That's awesome. So one last question, and uh, then we're going to have a little break. Um, what does disrupt mean to you? What does disrupt mean to me? I think disrupt means to me evolution. And I want to say that a lot of people think disrupt means 
that it has to be this revolutionary technology that has to disrupt something. And I believe that as an advocate of technology, of course, we should leverage it. But disruption does not have to be just about technology. It can happen on the outskirts of, you know, of, of your dreams. Like it doesn't have to just be this revolutionary term. Disruption can happen like by even just going back into your community and, and, and again, like actually, for me, it's like education, you know, going and helping the inner city youth and disrupting education by literally just going into those schools and talking to those kids, talking to someone on the corner, you know, disrupt their mindset. And I've seen how that can really change the trajectory of someone's life. So go out there and disrupt, man, and, and, and God bless you. Um, and and I, I support you, Anthony. Um, continue to disrupt, bro. And thank you all for believing in this movement, being here for your time. And thank you, Puerto Rico, for, for inviting me here. I look forward to building relationships with each and every one of you, figuring how we can add value to each other. Entrepreneurs need to stick together, grow together, build together. So uh, shout out to all the entrepreneurs out here. Love y'all. Peace. What's up, the Shrimp Nation? So thank you for listening to the episode. And if you ever wanted to start your own show or your own podcast and you didn't know how to get started, then I want to take a time to tell you about Disrupt Media. So Disrupt Media is our consulting arm of Disrupt. And it's one of the main ways that we monetize. It's one of the main ways how we're able to provide amazing content like this and our YouTube content and our social media content and our in-person events. Uh, all of those things are made possible by our Disrupt Consulting arm. So what is Disrupt Media? Disrupt Media is a full-service digital agency that provides everything from uh, web development, e-commerce, to landing pages, to social media marketing, strategy, personal branding, corporate branding, uh, app and, and website development. And one of the most amazing and exciting parts of the Shrub Media is our media portion. So we have the capabilities to create uh, original podcasts, so original audio content. We can help you start your own podcast from scratch. We have the capabilities to create original video content, so creating web series and uh, video content for social media, Facebook Watch, Instagram TV, uh, LinkedIn video. There are all these opportunities to literally become your own television station. And we help you from uh, concepting the idea to storyboarding the show to coming up with custom graphics and graphic design. We have an amazing team. And the same team that creates all the content for the Disrupt Podcast and the Disrupt Live Show and Disrupt Live Masterminds, uh, that same team can work on your project and your brand. So if you're interested in learning more, interested in uh, leveraging the power of the digital economy, then uh, please send us an email to uh, support at disrupt.digital, or you can give us a call at 201-875-8684. Thanks, guys, and I'll see you in the next episode.